welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020, a podcast for people who believe that being a woman is not a medical condition, nor is it a moral failing, and they feel exhausted and overwhelmed by everything they have to do here in the nightmare of 2020, and still, uh, despite being overwhelmed and exhausted, they worry that they're not doing enough. We are here to help you survive 2020. Are the dogs wrestling? What's happening? Oh, and the see that this is the thing that happens is that like your frozen snack gets trapped under the couch and you have to yip and call for help and then somebody comes and helps you. They get the frozy out from under the couch and then you can eat your snack in peace. And You're that welcome. is an example of how we're all going to get through it. Care for burnout is not self-care. It's not it's, getting the frozy out yourself. It's having somebody care for you and get the frozy for you. Being feeling welcome to ask for help because to know that there's somebody who's going to come. Puppies. They're yeah. good for you. Yeah. Uh, I'm Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia Nagoski. And this episode is about how to be nice to feminists who are voting for other candidates. Mm -hmm. It is the week of the Iowa caucuses. And here's the thing I personally fear, that the rancor of the Democratic primary is going to cause splinters on the left that reduce turnout on election day. And election day is our goalpost. That is what we are here for, is to get you through election day 2020. Without having burned out and not hating the world or feeling like you're going to fall apart. Or like alienating everyone you've ever known or loved. Right. And alienating everyone you've ever known or loved is a thing can happen in the primary election because not everybody's going to be in support of the candidate you would like to be in support of. How many primary candidates are there in the Democratic election? I don't there, know. There have been like 20? I should say that I have deliberately not been paying attention because it makes me crazy. I don't honestly care who it is because I'm going to vote for whoever it is anyway. So just sure, whoever. Yeah. And not everybody feels that way. Nope, nope. Lots of people feel very strongly about one particular candidate, pro or con. Right. Their opinions are about electability. They really want to win. And so they want the most electable candidate to win. they don't agree with that candidate, they think right. that more people will agree with them. Or they really want the person they agree with most to be elected. And they really think that choosing someone based on electability is counterintuitive and backwards and completely an asinine thing to do. Right. People have all different kinds of feelings. People feel ways about primary elections. Yeah. And here is what we would like. We would like by the time we get to the end of the primaries for you to be at peace and ready to work to support whoever the candidate is. Whoever you... Yeah. No, whoever. Whoever the candidate is. Whoever so, gets the nomination. We don't agree necessarily on the idea that liberals have to vote for Democrats. No. I'm a registered member of the Green Rainbow Party of Massachusetts. We live in Massachusetts. Yes. It's not the same thing as living in Pennsylvania and yeah. voting green. Right. No, but I, so I am a member of the Green Rainbow Party of Massachusetts. I have been a member of the Green Party since I was 22, since I first graduated college. You are coming out. And became like uh, a political person in the world. I took one of those online quizzes, which candidate do you agree with? And I learned about the Green Party. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah, the Green Party. And then I learned that the Green Party is an important party in countries all throughout Europe, including the United Kingdom. As of now, the United Kingdom is still part of the United of the European Union. Um, but that may not be true for much longer. Regardless. Um, so anyway, since way, way, way back when, it's been like 20 plus years that I've been a member of the Green Party. And... So all my political feelings are based on this sort of larger scale context. So I'm not paying attention to the Democratic primary because I am not a member of the Democratic You're party. You're not going to vote in the Democratic I'm not primary. I'm vote in it, yeah. Have I voted for Democrats? I have. 
You have only ever voted in Delaware, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, right. though. I am not a spoiler voter. I'm not in Florida or Ohio or even Pennsylvania. I'm not... Arizona. I understand the comment. Oh. Please don't yell at me about how can I possibly be a member of a third party. What we're going to hear be here to talk about today... Is how not to yell at people. Not to yell at people for voting the way they feel is right. ...with their political perspective. Because, like, we totally disagree. We Everybody do. thinks that I should not be so liberal. No, and, I don't think that. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. What? Okay, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The ideas themselves don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> the actual difference between us is I am highly pragmatic yeah. and very strongly focused on immediate measurable progress. Yeah. And you're interested in specific long-term outcomes. Yes. And neither of those is the wrong way to go. No. They are just different. They're just different, and we don't have to hate each other for it. And probably it's important that there are people doing work for both of those goals. Yes. Yes. Definitely it's important that Definitely. people doing work for both of those And goals. what we have just done is called positive reappraisal, <laughs> and it is what this episode is about. It's a very specific skill. When you look at the research on adaptive coping strategies, first of all, let's define our terms. There's adaptive coping strategies, and there are maladaptive, maladaptive coping strategies. What's the difference between an adaptive coping strategy and a maladaptive coping strategy? Adaptive coping strategies help you cope with whatever it is. And they carry a very low risk of unwanted consequences. Maladaptive coping strategies may help in the short term with whatever it is you're coping with, but they usually bring with them an increased risk of unwanted consequences. Things like drinking, mm -hmm. alcohol. Or adaptive coping strategies, right? No, it's a maladaptive coping <laughs> it's a strategy it's a joke. It's a joke. because it brings an increased risk of unwanted consequences. Got that? Yeah. Okay, so an adaptive coping strategy is one that helps and also doesn't increase the risk of unwanted consequences. And there's really just two mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> when you look at the research. Yeah. There's a lot that don't work, but there's two that work. One is planful problem solving, mm -hmm. which is making a plan and doing the plan. Doing the plan. Yeah, I love a plan. It's my favorite. Yeah. And the second is positive reappraisal. Okay. Could you please give us a definition of positive reappraisal? Because you are the one who was skeptical. Um, positive reappraisal is the understanding that no matter how hard a thing was, that it is actually worth it. Hashtag worth it. Hashtag worth because it. Because it turns out the research actually demonstrates that lots of kinds of adversity and challenge are opportunities for learning and growth. And in the long run, they may not achieve the original goal that you set out to achieve, but they do achieve something else that is worthy. And people misunderstand positive reappraisal yeah. as being just like... Look at the bright side. Accentuate the positive. Yeah. For Good every, vibes only. For every cloud, there's a silver lining. When it rains, look for rainbows. That's not positive reappraisal. That's just vapid... I don't That's know. just optimism. That's just optimism. And optimism just, is fine. No, no. Optimists are Optimism is the understanding of the world that when things go wrong, it's just that a thing went wrong. Whereas pessimism is an understanding that when things go wrong, it's because the world is a terrible place. It's because things are inherently broken. Yes. And this is a symptom of some larger, larger problem. Larger problem. And the thing is, pessimists are the ones who are, who are right. right. They're accurately perceiving the world. But they are also unhappier. It's so bad for they your health die younger. to perceive the world accurately. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I wish that weren't what we were... That we wish that it's weren't literally what the research shows. So if you're an optimist... Good for you. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Keep on with the optimism, man. Yes. You're a lucky If you're dog. a pessimist, do it. It's fine. The world needs us. Just get really skilled 
at positive reappraisal and understanding that if you don't accomplish a goal, that the journey you went through to fail to accomplish that goal is helping you accomplish some other thing that you just haven't seen yet. And it's true. And it's literally true. When things are harder, they work out better. There's many different domains of research where this shows up. One of my favorites is in group work. When a group is heterogeneous, very everybody's really different from each other, mm-hmm. they experience the group collaborative project as being much more difficult, and they have much less confidence in their product mm-hmm. as a group mm-hmm. uh, versus more homogenous groups where they feel much more comfortable in the process. Yeah, they enjoy it more. It was great. It was terrific. And they feel really confident we in what their, solution. what their outcome is. And it turns out the uh, result from those two different kinds of groups, the heterogeneous groups have a much better result. Yes. When it is more difficult, you end up with a better, better result. outcome. Mm-hmm. And I want to frame this as we people on the like spectrum of all different kinds of feminism are a heterogeneous group. And when we struggle, we will have a better outcome, even though we'll feel more doubtful of that outcome. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's small stuff, too. In one of my favorite little studies that we found... They gave students a reading, and uh, one group got the reading in a very legible, easy-to-read font, and the other group got that exact same reading in a very difficult-to-read font. Which group remembered more of what they learned and did better on the test about it? The group with the difficult-to-read font. When your brain has to struggle to do something, when it feels frustrating and annoyingly hard, like harder than it should be, you're actually learning more. You're remembering more. Yeah. So it it genuinely is worth it. When it feels hard, it really is worth it. You are getting a better outcome, even if you don't feel super confident about what that outcome is. It is in the nature of adversity to reduce your confidence. If you're totally sure that your candidate is the candidate, great. Recruit people to vote for that person. Do whatever you want to do. And know that other people are not going to agree with you. And that's okay. And they are not the problem. They are not the enemy. This is why turnout is so important. You just get more people to vote for your person. Do that work of getting more people to vote Mm -hmm. if they support your person. Sure. And then? If your person wins, great. That'll feel great. And if your person doesn't win, you grieve, you move through it, and you do whatever you have to do to support whatever candidate gets the nomination. And you understand that all the work you put in was not... Not for nothing. Not for just working toward a failure and it's all over now and the world is a terrible place. But all that effort you put in that feels like it was so hard... It was part of the not, messy process. It did not bring you to the goal you expected. But it's going to bring you somewhere else that is still worthwhile. And that actually is democracy it's working. Literally, tr- yeah. That's, yes. It's supposed to be messy and difficult. Am I going to go ahead and say that the stakes of this election are the stability of constitutional democracy itself? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that. But are we going to say... So there's also an understanding that when we make decisions based out of fear... They are not necessarily the same decisions yes. we make when they're based out of our own actual optimism in moving a place forward. of safety and a place, place of calm. Hopey changey. Thinking through the hopey changey. Exactly. Exactly. So when we're making decisions based out of fear, they may not be the same decisions we would make in a safer feeling context. So maybe be aware that maybe you're making a choice or feeling a feeling not because of rational yeah. comprehension of the situation, but because you are perfectly rationally, perfectly sensibly afraid for your civil rights. 
you're, yep. you know, thinking that you're, you, you, you're, you may be a member of a group of people who have been attacked. Yep. Maybe you're Jewish. Maybe you're the you're grandparent a, of yeah, a child of color. Right. Whom you would like to watch go to school in comfort and safety every day. And literally, these are populations. Or you're a woman who thinks that maybe other women ought to have the right to an abortion. And you think, gosh, that right is under threat right now. That is literally true. Literally true. So if you're feeling fear, that is a very rational place to be right now. That is a very sensible, intelligent, aware state for you to be in. Also be aware that when you're feeling afraid, you are less likely to be curious. You are less likely to feel free to reach out and find other options. You're less likely to turn toward other people with kindness and compassion. You're more likely to interpret their slightly different political views as a threat. So that's normal. That's a thing that happens. And we are here to help you learn how to use positive reappraisal to address that so you can respond differently. Yes. So you are under threat. Your civil liberties are being threatened by this current administration. That is correct. They are not being threatened by any of the Democratic primary candidates. No. None of them wants to put babies in cages. None of them wants to reverse (laughs) gay marriage. None of them wants to reverse Roe v. Wade. Like, they're all... None of them is a threat to your safety. Yes. And whether or not they win the election has nothing to do with electability. I'm going to, like, go ahead and point to a little bit of, like, here's how elections actually work. It's turnout. It's turnout and it's election fairness. It's people showing up and being willing to stand in line for however long it takes in order to cast their vote. Because of the Electoral College, it also means that your vote mostly doesn't count unless you live in some very specific states. That's the nature of our bullshit electoral system. It's fucked up and broken. I read a few years ago that our election system is sufficiently fucked up that the Jimmy Carter Foundation that specializes in going to countries and helping them establish democratic elections, we don't meet the minimum standards for being assisted. No. No, and we recently reversed some oversight in southern states to make sure that they're not, you know, enacting Jim Crow laws to prevent yeah. African-American people from having access to the ballot. So support the candidate that you care about completely. Yeah, absolutely. What actually matters is making sure people get their votes counted, that people show up to vote and their vote gets counted. Work on that stuff. So Positive reappraisal. Yeah. Where are we going with this? Here's what matters. What matters is that people are showing up. If you're engaged in the primary electoral process, that's awesome. You are showing up. Whoever else is engaged in the primary process for a different candidate, they're also showing up. And that is what matters. So you can turn toward that person with their slightly different political views and be like, how great that we're running in this race together. Right now, we're a little competitive and like have slightly different goals, but we're both moving in the same general direction. Yeah. So if um, here's another symptom that you might be responding out of fear rather than out of a place of safety and understanding that the world is an okay place to be. If you cannot see any flaws in your candidate, or if someone else pointing out the flaws in the candidate that you prefer makes you feel defensive or to lash out and attack that person, Mm. that might be a sign that your response in that situation is not 100% coming from your best self. It might be coming from your very understandable sense of fear. Yeah. And so when that happens, you turn toward that fear with kindness and compassion. Yeah. Thank you, fear, for trying to protect me. Yes, we are under threat right now, but 
democracy is a process and we are working to achieve it. And then you're going to complete that stress response cycle and you're going to turn toward that stress and say, oh, kindness and compassion for the stress. And thank you for showing me that I have work to do. And as always, dealing with the stress in your body, the very rational fear is a separate process from dealing with the stress or the stress or can be anything from one, the threat to constitutional democracy itself, or potentially two, whoever it is who's pointing out something they don't like about the candidate you support. Right. That person is not your problem. No. That person is not the, the so the you the way you turn toward your own body and complete your stress response cycle and deal with your feelings and turn toward them with kinds of compassion, that's how you cope with the actual emotion happening in your body. How you deal with the other person is to turn toward them with kindness and compassion. compassion. You have appreciation and gratitude for the fact that they are showing up because they are participating yeah. in this democracy that we have doing a part. This is like, that's how the game is played. And we are all playing this game together. Yes. And it is not the behaviors that will produce change in our society are not the behaviors that will work to complete the stress response cycles that are triggered by the shit show that's going on in our government. So here's a couple of cognitive tricks that I use for myself when I hear people talking about candidates I don't love or care about. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to name specific candidates. Because who cares? Yeah, because who cares? It doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. When I hear people saying that they're going to vote for a particular candidate because they're the only one whose platform and ideas represent what they really believe in and that's what they want, my cognitive trick is to remind myself that what a particular candidate says they want and what their platform is and what their goals are has nothing to do with (laughs) how a president actually governs. A president has to work with Congress, both houses of Congress and the judicial system in order to make anything happen. So just a straight up reality check. Yeah. Like just because that's what a president says they want to or a candidate says they want to do doesn't mean that's what would happen under their presidency. So I'm more interested in having a lot of people vote for that person that matters for whoever it is than um, what their specific platform, platform says is. because their specific platform is not a reflection necessarily of what we'd actually get if that person were president. So that's one cognitive trick that I pull on myself. Another cognitive trick that I pull on myself is that thing I was talking about being glad that a person is showing up and doing the work and cares Mm -hmm. and is basically like interested in the same ideals that I am of like everybody gets treated fairly. Women have reproductive rights and control over their own bodies and basic bodily autonomy, autonomy. right? Equal pay. And those are they want those things. They don't not want those things just because they want a different candidate than I want in the primary. Right. This is someone, hey, whoever the candidate is, they're going to believe in the rule of law. They're not just going to, like, go with their gut and work hand in hand with a corrupt administration. The fact that they're participating in a primary election is them participating in the rule of law. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. High five. Yeah. So those are a couple of tricks that I play on myself to not judge or worry. Yeah. When people support a different candidate. Okay. And I also know, third one, last one, Mm, third cognitive trick is being able to say, and whoever wins, I'm going to vote for them. I'm going to work for them. I'm going to register people to vote. I'm going to help people get to the voting booths. And I'm going to maybe even do work to make sure that the electoral process is fair in my state. Great. Doesn't matter who it is. Let's all vote for the person and work for the person once we get to the point. And before then, do whatever you want. So I want to put this in a bigger picture. Okay. So 
you're having a lot of feelings about the Democratic primary. It's in the news all the time. And say you have an interaction with someone you disagree with about the primaries and you feel yourself having this kind of overly violent reaction. Yes. You do the things that Emily just talked about with the cognitive checks of looking at the big picture reality of what this candidate is actually going to be able to accomplish based on what their platform is, which is basically nothing. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, but that's what it is. And then the second one was the... Was that the person is participating. Oh, they're participating and appreciating the fact that they're engaged in the process. Um, and when we have the third candidate, whoever the candidate is, we're all going to work for that person. Yeah. And then I want to talk about the feelings. So you turn toward that sense of fear, that sense of anger. You turn toward it with kindness and compassion inside yourself and say, oh, I hear you fear. I hear you anger. Mm -hmm. And you complete this response cycle. You express those emotions. You do whatever you got to do to make that happen. See basically all our other episodes. Mm -hmm. And also you can turn toward that other person who is also having a lot of feelings. So afraid. And turn toward their feelings with kindness and compassion. So that instead of lashing out together at each other, and creating more adversity in the world. Instead, you turn toward each other in your disagreement and you've created healing in the world. You've created more kindness and compassion in the world. And even more important than having a candidate you both agree on is having more kindness and compassion in the world. I'm gonna zoom out a little bit further to me and the fact that I'm a member of the Green Party and did I vote for Ralph Nader? Yes, I did. You know, did I think that Jill Stein was a better candidate than Hillary Clinton? No, I did not. But do I think that the ideals that the Green Party stood for? Do you see how you're probably disagreeing with me right now? And maybe you're getting kind of angry. That's okay. I totally accept your anger. Don't forget, we live in Massachusetts. Yeah. We live in Massachusetts. Emily feels the need to rationalize We this, live in Massachusetts. But I really feel Amelia like it's doesn't. important that we need to create fairer access to elections. Because if Amelia lived in Ohio... Emily would have killed me already. <laughs> Emily would have actually beating me with a baseball bat. <laughs> we would have had a fight. Yeah. But so anyway, um, regardless <laughs> of where I live or who I vote for, I have some ideals that are about supporting human rights. And you can turn toward me with kindness and compassion. Yes. You can allow me to think what I think and to work for the ideals that I want to work for because... I'm still a human being and I also have fear. I also have anxiety. I also have anger that I'm turning toward with as much kindness and compassion. Do I think that there's some short-sightedness in the Democratic Party? I do. Yeah. But can I turn toward that? I mean, what they're doing is working within a broken system. And I think we need to change the system and not work within the system. But I totally have gratitude and compassion for the idea that we have to use the master's yes. tools, the sense of trappedness that we have to work with what we have and we're limited to this thing. I have compassion for that. And I also am kind of glad that someone's capable of that because I, I don't have the patience for it. Yes. So if you feel like you're too afraid to... The reality of change is that it happens both from within and, and without. pressure without the system. Yeah. That's, so, we represent both forces of change. So now I'm going to zoom out even further to the Trump supporters. Whoa. These people are the products of a system that has told them they're entitled to some stuff. And that system did not lie to them. That system told them they're entitled. And actually that entitlement exists. Yeah. White people Men. are entitled. Like they have access rich to more people. stuff than people get. Rich people feel like they're, they believe things that are true ish and, and being challenged and they're being challenged and so they are also experiencing this sense of 
fear, this promise I was given that white supremacy is real and that I will be able to do whatever I want and treat people however I want. I was told there would be cake. Yeah, yeah, I was told there would be cake. I'm going to blow up the building. Like, they want to blow up the building. Like, because they weren't given their cake. Can you, can you turn toward that fear that they have, that expectation that they are afraid is going to be denied them? Like, are they right? I think that objectively they're wrong. Yeah. But I can recognize that they're human beings, underinformed, misguided, hurt human beings <laughs> who, who deserve compassion just as much as I do. The difference, I think, being, and here's my judgment coming in, that I do think that their beliefs hurt other people actively and immediately and are also largely illegal and that they're ignoring the rule of Okay, I have lost my compassion and judgment has taken over. No! Hey! And the dogs are reacting to it. And the dogs can feel my feelings bubbling up. Play with the toy, for Christ's sake. Don't just chew on each other. You know what? Emily just yelled at the dog. Play with the toy. Don't just chew on each other. Which I think is the moral of this whole episode. Here, 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 here. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> oh my god. Dog me. Compassion is a practice. It's not a perfect. So when you take that moment of turning toward that dude in the MAGA hat and you think, Ooh, compassion for his humanity. Compassion for his humanity. It's a practice. You're not gonna feel it every moment of every day. It might only come in bursts, but practicing makes you better at it and it creates more compassion in the world. It creates more kindness in the world. And that's good for everybody. The Trump administration is not good for everybody, but having as much compassion as possible for as many people as possible is good for everybody. It's the thing that's lacking in the Trump administration. No matter how difficult it is. And again, positive reappraisal. It is super hard. It's so hard. And complicated. It's so hard and complicated. And not morally straightforward, not necessarily. Because they're hurting people and like... To turn toward them with harm. kindness and compassion. Yeah. Ooh. Especially Someone... if you don't come from a religious tradition that says that that's the morally right thing to do. What if you just sort of don't have a moral tradition like that yeah. and you're just like no just do it because it's the right thing to do no no and part of you's like it's not right to be well here's the here's the truth is that the research shows that having compassion is good for you it's actually better for your personal health if you are able to see other human beings with compassion even if they are morally bankrupt what would Jesus do? Jesus would have kindness and compassion and turn the other cheek and stuff. But it turns out the science says that when you turn the other cheek and when you have compassion and you embrace people's humanity, <laughs> it's actually better for you and it creates more compassion and peace in the world, which is good for everyone. So the positive reappraisal is, so whatever else is true, it is better for my personal health to turn toward you with kindness and compassion, and it is better for the world in the long run mm -hmm. if I turn toward this person I disagree with with kindness and compassion. Yeah. And who again, you not only disagree with, but who is actively doing harm in the world. Right. How you deal with the stressor, which is this person you disagree with who may actively be doing harm in the world, and how you deal with the stress itself, which is to complete the stress response cycle, mm -hmm. see episodes, all of them, all of, them. of this podcast. <laughs> Chapter one of the book. How you do with the stressor and how you do with the stress are different things. 
Except that they're both the same thing. They are both turning toward <laughs> whatever it is with kindness and compassion. It's just a right. different skill set mm-hmm. in doing the turning toward. Does that make sense? That's positive reappraisal. It is hashtag worth it to do the hard work of being kind, compassionate, and patient with this person I disagree with Yeah. because it is in the long run better for my health, better for the world, and I'm going to go cope with my feels. Yeah. And don't you wish those Trump people could do that too? Don't you though? Don't you wish they could do that? Isn't their inability to do that basically the problem? It's basically the problem. So don't you want to be the change you wish to see in the world? Don't you want to practice what you preach you should have more compassion you asshole well okay wow that asshole really should have more compassion but yelling at them is not gonna change how compassionate they are yeah and probably being compassionate toward them is probably also not going to change how compassionate they are but in the long term your little bucket of sand that you move on this big beach of compassion is going to add up because there's a whole line of other people also scooping sand, also tossing buckets of compassion over to the where it belongs, which is our government. Please, please let there be compassion in the government. The dogs are high maintenance today. So if there's like a bottom line takeaway, you're going to share this episode with somebody and say it's about this. It's about why disagreement in the democratic primary process is good and what to do with all the feelings you have about that disagreement in order to make it as productive and effective as possible. The answer is positive reappraisal. Mm -hmm. The conflict is good. Patience, kindness, and compassion are good. The process of dealing with the stress is separate from the process of dealing with the stressor. Yeah, and being compassionate is a stressful thing to do. Yes, but it's also really good for you, like spinach. So we're trying to make the world a better place in 2020 and for feminists in particular. And that means helping everybody get through the primary together Together. and in one piece so that we can continue working. Please don't yell at us. (laughs) I mean, you can, but we're going to turn toward you with kindness kindness and compassion. Yeah. I mean, like, we get it. It's exhausting. You're totally sure you have the answer and you were reacting. Yep. With fear. I get that. that I'm a member of the Green Party. They get mad. And Emily jumps to my defense saying that, well, my views don't matter in my state that I live in. (laughs) Like, okay, thanks for that. But like, so I know. And I have very strong views don't matter. It's that they didn't interfere. They don't interfere. Remember that when you react to someone else with fear and rage, that's about you, not about the other person. Except that that's not true. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. The answer is kindness just is what it comes down to. Whether you like doing kindness or don't like doing kindness, you don't have to like it to do it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like broccoli. But, but you it's what's going to move us forward. Yeah. And it is hashtag worth it. Hashtag worth it. Kindness, colon, hashtag, hashtag worth, worth it. it. And that is this episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. Survival. We're not claiming that survival is easy. No. There's work to do. We're claiming that it's hashtag worth it. Hashtag worth it. And you're going to have to work with people you disagree with. Sorry. Ugh. I know. It's hard. You can follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at FSP2020. Email us at Feminist Survival Project 2020. Email us. Is that it? Yeah, Feminist Survival Project 2020 at gmail.com and uh, let us know. Is do, there ever did we a make time you mad? When, yeah, did we make you mad? Is there a time when you've acted with compassion towards someone you disagreed with? And what was that like? What happened in, after that? Did you feel better? Was it just hard? Did you not complete the stress response cycle? It was all grief for me. It was all grief? Yeah. It was, Jesus. Yeah. Was, and then you had to process the grief. Yeah. And then I had to like go home and 
feel my feelings. I have turned with compassion towards someone I really disagree with and felt better because it was someone I had to work with in the long term. And being able to be like, oof, yeah. I mean, that's really all it was articulated as, oof, okay. It made interacting with that person easier. So tell us, what was your experience like? Were you full of grief and rage? Did you just go, oof, yeah, and then move on? Do you think it's possible to move on from shit like that? Let us know. And thanks for listening. Puppies. They're good for you. <laughs>